0: We're in Joshua, so we're we'll carrying on in Joshua. And uh, actually, we're in uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, which was the last time we had Joshua because it was Father's Day last week. And didn't Jim McGlade preach beautifully? Um, it's always great. I love hearing Jim speak. Um, Carl, the week before, spoke from Joshua chapter 6 on Jericho. And. Um, This isn't me kind of testing you. This isn't me kind of going, oh, I think they've forgotten that two weeks ago it was Jericho. But we're going to look at the same story, but from a slightly different angle. And hopefully it will draw out some different stuff. So it won't be the same sermon, but it happens to be the same passage. But you know what? I've discovered this, that even John 3.16, the most famous verse in all of the Bible, that you, you can be following Jesus for years and years and years, and then one day you can be like, wow, I never quite read John 3.16 like that before. So if it can happen with John 3.16, it can happen with Joshua chapter 6 as well, can't it? So we're in Joshua 6. Um, if you've got a Bible, I'm not going to read the whole story because if you were here a couple of weeks ago, um, you'd have heard it already. But also, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, off the back of this morning, it might be worth you getting onto our YouTube channel and watching what Carl had to say as well. We are at a critical kind of juncture in the life of the church. I believe that. The leadership church, leadership of the church believe that. And, and I believe as a church, we believe that as well. And I think Jericho is a significant story. A significant story when it comes to taking ground a significant story in terms of not in terms of like a literal marching session but in terms of our relationship with God both as a church and as individuals and uh, so spiritually speaking Jericho is if we're taking it on a spiritual level there's a formidable city that is in the way of stepping into all God has for you that's a little bit like what Jericho was They've crossed over the river, brilliant, but there's this formidable city that is blocking the promised land. And, it, and they could go around it, but the city's still there, and it would cast a shadow on the promised land. The promised land wouldn't be all that it was cracked up to be if the city of Jericho was still there if it was casting long shadows upon the people. It's standing in the way of the promises of God They' miraculously crossed the Jordan, and God is with them, but Jericho is before them. And it, it's set up, you, you think it's set up for an epic battle, don't you? When you read the story of Jericho. You know, I haven't seen a movie about Jericho, um, but if they were to make one, it would be incredibly dull. Because there's very little fighting going on. There's very little kind of like action sequences. It would just be a bunch of musicians having a bit of a jam for six days. And on the seventh day doing it for a bit longer. It wouldn't make a massively exciting movie. It's not, it doesn't fit the mold of other stories that you read. It's a bit different. So it's not about that, but rather about the lessons that we learn through it. If I was kind of the commander of the Lord's armies and I wanted to besiege Jericho, I'd probably do a bit of a Helm's Deep on it. I'd probably get some like crazy guy with a hat on, give him a flaming torch, and plant a massive bomb at the base of the wall and just blow it to smithereens. That's what I would do, but that's not what God does. At no point does the commander of the Lord's army, in talking to Joshua, say, this is what you've got to do with your spears and all your trained men. Instead, he goes, we're gonna use musicians. And I don't mean this in an offensive way for musicians, but at least use the sports guys. Right? We're using the musicians. We're gonna get them playing the triangle at the walls. That's what I'd have been like if I was there, if I was there listening to the thing like, you serious? You want me to send the guitarist in? You want me to send the guy on the piano? to go around the walls for a few days. What are you talking about, God? And, and you just imagine the scene. It doesn't say anything about it remarkably, but it, like the people of Jericho must have looked down and thought, what are they doing? Like, seriously? Going around the walls? blowing a horn a few times? Are they trying to wind us up? Are they having a laugh? Interestingly though, this occurred to me. You don't read anything about them like lobbing spears at them whilst they're playing the music. You don't read anything about them firing bow and arrows or pouring hot tar on them as they go past the walls. I thought that was a bit weird. Almost as if God was even preventing the people in Jericho from striking out as the people as they go around the walls. I thought that's a bit weird when you've watched like all these kind of historical battles and fights where they're always like wanting to, to do them in. Well, no, that doesn't happen. Jericho is shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king, its mighty man of valor. You shall march around the city. And then it goes into the kind of description, which I'm not going to go into um, at this point, on what they're supposed to do. But I want to zoom in on something that's really important for us here. And something that I think we can lose sometimes is the promise from God, before Joshua goes, before Joshua does this kind of frankly ridiculous scheme, seemingly, of wandering around the city with the Ark of the Covenant and the music guys and then everybody else following silently behind, this is what God says to him. I have given Jericho into your hand. doesn't say, I might have given Jericho into your hand. God doesn't say, I will give Jericho into your hand. That would make sense, wouldn't it? You, you, Jericho's before you. God's going to say, if you obey me, you know, l- let's besiege the city. I will give Jericho into your hand. Future tense. That's what you would expect. But he doesn't do that. He said, I have given Jericho into your hand. Like it's already done. Before you've even done anything, it's done. Jericho's yours already. Past tense. It, it, it's a promise from God. I've given it to you. Even the instruments they use, because they don't use the triangle, even the instruments they use point to it. Point to celebration. So uh, they've had a a few instruments that they used back in the day, like silver trumpets, but they're not using those. They're using the ram's horn, or what is known as a shafar. Um, Sounds a bit like the baddie from Aladdin. Um, Using those as their kind of instrument. And it's really interesting when you look at, the, they had like different like sounds that they would make um, on different occasions. Um, but like, kind of the most common use of this instrument was that of celebration. That it was blown and it signified something. It signified victory. It signified a battle has been won. So isn't it interesting that they're marching around the city, the city that God has said I've already given you, blowing an instrument that says the victory has already been won before a brick even falls. I find that level of faith staggering. I find that level of faith remarkable. But it's based on the fact that God has said this, so therefore it's true. So if God has said that this is the case, it must be true. If God wills something, then it's going to happen. Right? If God's in control of the whole universe, then he can cause some bricks to fall down if the people follow after him. Before the battle even begins, it's already been won. You just have to follow the instructions. And it's a little bit like life. I know we've said this before. But if you're in Christ today, if you are a Christian here today, then the words of Jesus are, it is finished. The words of Jesus are, the battle has already been won. It's done. It's won. We can blow our horn of celebration. Because we're on the right side of history. Yes, we're in a world that's broken and it affects us and impacts our hearts sometimes. But it ends well. We're on the right side of history. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ today to save you, then he will save you. He's going to bring that into completion. It's sure. It's secure. Because God says so. It's a promise to us. We can be on the right side of history. And you know when you read through the Bible, I love this. There are so many promises in the Bible. It is important that we read them in context. So I heard a story a few years ago. You might have heard of snake handling churches. Have you heard of those? There's um, some churches, often in America actually. Um, there's uh, In Mark 16... From nine to twenty, it'll appear in your Bibles, but it might be in brackets because it doesn't necessarily appear in like the earliest manuscripts. And one of the things it says here in uh, in Mark 16 is this: um, "And these signs will accompany those who believe. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all." Okay, so that's what it says in the Bible. You go, "Oh, it's a promise of God. I can pick up snakes, and I can drink poison, and I'll be." And some people do that, like. And and a a pastor, I think it was in 2014, a pastor in Florida was holding a rattlesnake at the front of church and the rattlesnake bit him and he died. He died. Now, I'm not a massive fan of snakes, so we're not going to do that here. There are promises in Scripture, some of which we need to understand the context, some of which most definitely apply to us now some of which aren't literal. So sometimes we do need to kind of understand that, but here are some of the amazing promises that don't involve rattlesnakes that God says to us today. He says this in John, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1. God forgives you. If today you say, God, I'm sorry, I'm broken, forgive me, God forgives you, that's a promise. That means we don't need to live in this state of, oh, God doesn't love me. God wouldn't forgive me. God says he has and he will. It's a promise. Therefore, we live in light of it. Other ones, for example, do not be anxious about anything. That's sometimes really difficult. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God says, if you trust me, you'll get my peace. That's a promise. Feeling restless? Trust him. Feeling far from him? Trust him. It's a promise. Therefore, it's true. Therefore, it's something we can apply here. The promise, one of my favorite passages in the whole of the Bible, is when Jesus is dying on a cross and he's got two thieves next to him who deserve to be there. One of them who's a buffoon and one of them who goes, actually, maybe, maybe Jesus is the son of God. And he's kind of like, this guy's innocent, and Jesus says to him what? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. There's a promise of God if we put our trust in him that one day when we, our eyes close on this life, we will be with him in paradise. That's good, right? That's good news, isn't it? That one day will be with Jesus forever. And this from Romans 8 if the Spirit of Him, these verses are amazing, okay? You've got to hear these. If the Spirit of Him, so talking about God the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your body. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within you if you're a follower of Jesus. That's a promise. So that means wherever I go, God goes. Whatever I face, God's with me in it. It's a promise of God that has an impact upon our life. And this is what I want to say on this. For some of us here, we go, well, it's all well and good It's saying these promises in the Bible, but sometimes it's hard to believe, uh, to believe that they're true. How do I know that these promises that are just written down in a book are relevant and mean something for me today? And this is why. God has gone to extraordinary lengths for you extraordinary lengths in that he gave his one and only son to die upon a cross to seal the promises of God for you. Now, if he's gone to all that trouble in sending his one and only son who he loves to die upon a cross, to die a horrible death upon a cross, then we cannot doubt his word. We cannot doubt his promises. If he does that for you, then he loves you. If he does that for you, then actually when he says, you don't need to be anxious, I'll give you my peace, he's going to give you a peace. If he says to Joshua, the battle is won, then the battle is won. Some of us this morning, you might be thinking, oh, I'm facing all kinds of things in my life. Well, we need to know that the promises of God are true, don't we? True on our best day and true on our worst day. Because they're less to do with us and everything to do with God. God. Everything to do with the one who said it. And that's why Joshua does seemingly the most bizarre thing. That's why the people of God get into line and do seemingly the most bizarre thing. Because God's made a promise. I have given you, Jericho, it's yours. And you know what God says to us? He says, I've given you life. It's yours. I've given you my grace. It's yours. I've given you hope. I've given you a purpose. I've given you life. It's yours. Step into the fullness of it. Believe it's true for you. And the major life lesson for Jericho was, great, God's made a promise, but it can't lead to kind of spiritual apathy. Can you imagine if the commander of the Lord's armies had said, right, you need to do this, Joshua. And then the Lord had spoken directly to Joshua, downloaded exactly what the strategy was, and Joshua went, okay, God, but for a bit, I'm just going to sit on my hands and just admire the view. Can you imagine if Joshua just sat down and then the rest of Israel just sat there looking at Jericho? Well, God said that he's going to do it. God said the battle's been won, so we'll just sit here and do nothing. It didn't lead to a kind of apathy for the people, but it led to action. I remember once chatting to this fella. Um, he was out of work. He'd been out of work for a little while. And uh, I was just kind of chatting to him and saying, how's it going? How's your, kind of, how's your, your job hunting going? And he said to me, oh, well, not very well. Um, I'm praying about it a lot. I'm seeking God. I'm asking God to get me the right job. And I'm like, that is amazing. That is, that is brilliant. Have you applied for any jobs? No. Okay, okay. Have you done your CV? No. Maybe that would be a good thing to do. Like, it's a combination of prayer, yes, responding to who God is, but also action, isn't there? That's why we talked a little bit this morning of, yes, we want this building. Yes, we believe that God has huge plans for us as a church and huge plans for us, uh, huge plans for the town, but there has to be action, doesn't there? There has to be, we have to respond. We can't just go, yeah, God will provide all the money and just twiddle our thumbs. No, we can be the answer, to those things, with our pledges and with our giving when it comes to giving or when it comes to loving someone, oh, that person, that person really needs loving. I'll just wait for someone else to come along to do it for me. No, actually, we can be the answer to the prayers that we pray. Look at this. Our faith is evidenced by our obedience. Not a word that gets banded around very much, but a really important word in terms of the Bible. March around all the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, and all the people shout with a great shout, the wall of the city will fall down flat. It's weird. But it happened. Because the people obeyed the promises of God it's really funny actually when you read the narrative if you've got Joshua 6 in front of you you don't read any moaning you don't read any whinging you don't read anyone going uh it's day five now in the walls of Jericho <laughs> and nothing's happened like you don't you don't read that it's, it's not there all the people are so full of faith because God's made a promise We need to be so full of faith because God's made a promise that he's good. He's made a promise that he's he's for us. He's made a promise that he gives us his peace. That we take that into every single situation that God is faithful. We have to be full of faith because of who our commander-in-chief is. Because of who we worship. That's why we obey. That's why we stand out in faith. That's why we stretch out and that's why we pledge towards what we're doing because we worship the risen reigning rule in jesus christ not a dead savior because he's alive we're alive because he's faithful because he keeps his promises we can respond in obedience and it's been it has been amazing over the last we're nearly at four years september 17th i think or 14th i should know uh marks four years since the church began And God's done some beautiful things in that time, hasn't he? Hasn't he? I I think so. And our prayer is that we'll see more of that, right? What's the next four years going to hold? I don't know, but I want to faithfully serve Jesus. I don't know what's around the corner, but I want to honor Jesus with all that we are. I want to bring a smile to heaven with what we do. I want to be faithful and rest on the promises of God in all that we are hearing his voice, and following after him. And we do that as individuals as well. Jericho should teach us that we're a people who need to listen to the promises of God and respond obediently to him. Why? Not so that we're loved, but because we're loved. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You're not loved because you pray more or because you read your Bible this morning. That pleases God, but God already loves you so pray and read your bible God loves you today as you are sometimes we think God's only going to love this future projection of myself when i clean myself up and I get myself all right that's not true he loves you right now and he wants us to you know to to get clean and get right but we can't do that with kind of like our own kind of like um self-help stuff. It's that we're made more like Jesus. We pursue him more. We know him more. Faith is believing God and taking him at his word even when it can feel ludicrous to do so. Even when. It's a bit, you know, this story is a bit far out there, isn't it? Even when. Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Why does it matter? Because it changes lives. Why does it matter? Because it changed my life. Why does it matter? Because Jesus changed your life too, I hope, when you put your trust in him. Perhaps for some of us today, faith can seem a bit far out, a bit like Jericho tumbling down, can seem a bit far-fetched and a bit far out. Work's a bit of a battle, home's hard work, The good news of Jesus is the power of God to bring salvation, to bring rescue, to transform every situation. Just look at Rahab in this story. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab, the furthest thing from God, if you like, at the time, exits Jericho as one of the people of God. Completely transformed. And I want to say this about Jericho, and this is why it would make a boring movie. The planet Jericho was never about fighting. I think for some of us, to put up a bit of a fight, to get angry about stuff is the easy option, is the easy way. It would have been easy for them to throw javelins at the wall and to trebuchet their way in and get some guy with a huge bomb to run at the bottom of the wall and blow it to smithereens. That might have been the easy option. Trusting God is the hard way. Going God's way is the hard way. But it's worth it. Getting angry, doing it our own ways, easier to do. But trusting God is what matters. A few years ago, uh, well, many years ago now, um, I was sat in a a church that had this wonderful tiered seating as well. And uh, I remember as we sat there, we'd had this guy come and he was sharing about the prophetic and uh, he'd been preaching and then afterwards was kind of doing ministry and pre- you know saying call upon the lord see if he speaks to you and i felt prompted in my heart i felt like the lord had given me this word for this girl who was sat down near the front and uh, so i was like oh my goodness okay I, and i kind of lodged it in my heart and thought okay i, I can go and share that with this girl but at this point I'd never done anything like this before this was like the first time anything like that had ever happened to me something just popped into my mind out of the blue and it seemed ludicrous so I didn't do it to my shame I completely bottled it I didn't do it Even though I was convinced the Lord was giving me something to benefit and encourage somebody else, I held on to it in my heart. And uh, after the service, uh, I went down to near the front and this girl was sat there, but she was being prayed for by another woman. And uh, I was just listening, kind of, I know you shouldn't do that, but I did. (laughs) And uh, kind of like overhearing what was going on. And this woman was praying the exact words God had given me over this girl. And in that exact moment, I felt God whisper to my soul, I don't need you, Daniel. I don't need you, but I want you. God doesn't need us, He's God. He can do anything He wants, He's the God of the universe, He's the creator of everything, but He wants us. He wants us to be His hands and feet, He wants us to do His work. He doesn't want us sitting on our hands. Waiting for the walls of Jericho to fall down. He wants us responding in obedience to him. And faith is doing just that even when it seems far out. Even when it seems, I can't get my head around this. God wants us to be trusting and obeying him and celebrating our faith and it it made me kind of just think about well what about us today we think about the story of Jericho and it seems so kind of distant to our experience we're not going to leave this place today and start marching around buildings I don't think that's the lesson from Jericho but rather it's about do we trust in God do we trust that God has promises for his people that we're going to have his peace, that we're going to know him. And one of the promises that you read in scripture, one of the truths of scripture, it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I've always found that really intriguing. That's my confession, i found that intriguing because it doesn't seem to be how I would be like, oh, I need peace and comfort and that would be my strength. Now, God says joy is our strength. Seems kind of paradoxical if we're in a place where we need strength and we need uplifting and we we need that comfort. Well, God says joy is our strength. Celebration of who God is is our strength. Reliance upon him. And um, I was just thinking about this a little bit, and we're all on our our journey of faith, and I want you to think about this as you've crossed over. You've said, I'm going to follow after Jesus. You've crossed over the river, and you're, you're on the edge of the promised land. You see, View the promised land of all the amazing things that God has for your life. But Jericho's in the way. And Jericho, I believe spiritually, is a picture of our heart, actually. The, the, there's some spiritual things going on here too. That for all of us, there's Jerichos in our life. There's walled cities that we build around our hearts that say no to God. That reject one another that, oh, it would be easier for me to just go round and avoid having to deal with some stuff in here. But the problem is Jericho's still there. Even if you're in the promised land, Jericho still looms on the horizon. The walls need to come tumbling down. The walls we put up around our heart, whether it's to protect ourselves or not, from past experience or past hurts or anxieties, they get in the way. Our pain, our anger, our bitterness, our resentment, our health, whatever it might be. Different things that we, our finances that we go, well, I'm going to re- retain control of my finance, God. And we build these walls around our heart, a bit like Jericho. We shut up the door. Nobody comes in. Nobody goes out, not even God. And it looms on our promised land. And it just sits there and it steals our joy. And it steals our faith. And it distracts the mission of God. And it wrecks us. If the Israelites had left Jericho, it would have caught up with them. But God doesn't want to just leave our Jerichos in our heart. He wants to deal with them. And um, I've never shared this story in my life. But I was... Praying yesterday afternoon, and uh, it was brought to mind to me. and um, So I'm going to share it. And um, about mm, 11 years ago now, I was in America for the summer, the land of the free, uh, for three months. And I was in Washington State, this beautiful state where it always rains, so it's like being home. And um, just been to church in the morning. It was rocking. It was great. And then six or seven of us, maybe like in our 20s, something like that, We're just hanging out in the afternoon. Uh, One guy with his guitar, uh, you know, it wasn't like fancy, no smoke machines, none of that business, no full band, just one man and his guitar, and like six of us just worshiping and and praying and calling upon God's Holy Spirit to move. And this uh, one girl got up and said, I want us to kind of pray about God being our father and, and the walls that we put up that prevent us knowing God as our father. And that could be our own experiences of our own earthly dad. It could be all these kind of things, she said. And uh, as we're praying, as we're praying, I just started weeping and weeping and weeping. And it felt like five minutes, but I'm reliably told it was a couple of hours. I don't think there was any water left in me. And I was just crying. Now, I I had the privilege, I suppose, of my dad's great. But God had brought to mind in my heart That my dad, when I was growing up, he had been cruelly diagnosed with ME. And um, it meant that life changed almost overnight for my family. Changed for my dad. Went from full-time employment to being off a lot of the time. Being ill a lot of the time. And I hadn't realized this. It was all rather subconscious that I'd put these things in my heart where actually I was upset with my dad over it. It wasn't my dad's fault. He wasn't in control about it, but all of a sudden, where dad was at football and cheering me on at football, he wasn't there anymore. Or when uh, I was at school doing something and, and celebrating, well, dad wasn't there. And what it meant was I f- I'd felt let down by my father, and I had kind of gone, okay, well, God as my father's gonna let me down too. And I built these walls around my heart that I didn't even know existed. I built these walls around my heart that God wanted to just knock down in order that I would move into becoming the person that God wanted me to be. I didn't even know they existed until that moment. And then, as I was reflecting, started to realize, actually, my relationship with my dad hadn't been great. Hadn't been in a good place. Hadn't been as good as it possibly could have been. Because deep down, maybe I'd been acting out of anger or just wanting to know his love, just wanting to be appreciated perhaps. All human emotions, all normal things, aren't they? And yet I'd put up these walls, I'd closed off my heart to God because of it as my father. I remember weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and nothing seemed to, I didn't feel, I felt a bit better for crying. That's always the way, isn't it? Have a little cry, I always feel a bit better. But it was only when I got home and uh, I explained to my dad, because that was hard, having to tell my dad that I'd like, been resenting him even though I hadn't realized I had. That was a really hard conversation to have. And said, God, you know, Dad, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for the way I've treated you? And my relationship with my dad's good now and miraculously he was healed of ME just like remarkably. After many, many years though, and I'm, you know, if I could rewind the clock, he it, it would have never had it or it would have come sooner, but... God's ways are not our ways. And yet, since then, my relationship with my dad has got better and improved. And it's probably now, maybe it's because I'm a little more mature than I used to be. A little bit. Um, But it's okay now. But my point was this. And the point I want to get across is this. Sometimes we have walls around our heart that we don't even know exist. And they are walls and barriers to God. They act like Jericho's they block our relationship with him. And now it can be stuff that's in our past. It can be stuff that's in our present. It can be things that we're not trusting God with or we're not living in obedience with, whether it's shame that we feel, whether it's anger that we feel, whether it's hurt that we feel. We feel let down and disappointed by God. Well, there are walls that we put up that mean prevent us stepping into the people that God wants us to be. And some of us here have built walls to God entirely. You know, God, I used to worship you, but you know what? Some bad stuff's happened in my life, so the walls have gone up. But if you want to become the person that I believe you were created to be, if you want to understand that you have a God in heaven who loves you, if you want to understand what true life is, then the walls have got to come down. We cannot live in the shadow of Jericho's in our hearts. We have to deal with stuff. We cannot just avoid the issues. We have to deal with them. And you know what the good news is? That God makes promises that he will. God makes, he doesn't promise that if we're sick, we'll be completely healed. But he does promise, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He does promise that he will give us peace. He does promise that he will give us life. And my story, my testimony, and I'm sure the testimony of anyone here who's following after Jesus is, when we yield to God, sometimes as hard as that can be, sometimes if, if it means weeping on the floor for two hours and as broken as we can be, when the walls come down, we start to step into the people we were created to be. We start to take ground in faith. We start to make progress in our walk with Jesus. God wants our whole heart, not part of it. God just didn't want part of the city. He didn't leave part of the city. He laid the city to waste because he knew that we build walls around our hearts. He knew that people would still see that Jericho was on the horizon, that people would be looking back over their shoulder instead of looking forward at their savior and all that God's going to do. And so often, isn't that our story? We're always looking back. We're always like, oh, I wish that had been different or oops. And we live in light of our past instead of living in light of the promises of God that says, you're a child of God and I love you. We're defined by our sin instead of being defined by Jesus smashing it to pieces for us. Just as the city was smashed to pieces. Jesus said, it is finished. The temple, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The stuff that was between man and God was torn away. We're people of the cross. And there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing that you carry or you have carried or you will carry that Jesus cannot deal with. He can deal with it all. If we trust and obey him. If we respond to him. If we yield to him if we trust him to get rid of our Jerichos. Because I think the walls of Jericho, they limit our faith. They block our walk with Jesus. We aren't to be defined by our sin, by our shame, by our past, by our guilt, by our worry. But in Christ, we've sung about it today. We'll sing about it again. That's why we celebrate. That's why we can be full of joy. And just to finish this, I I love this. The story of of Lazarus, Lazarus who was dead and he'd been dead for four days and Jesus rocks up to his tomb and he shouts, Lazarus, come forth. You know what Lazarus had to do? He still had to come forth. He had to leave the tomb He had to step into all that God had for him. He had to hear the words of Jesus and follow after it. And that's what we have to do. Insert your own name. Jesus says, come forth. Let's do this together. Those walls that are around your heart, let's take them apart. That you would know you're loved. That you would know you're of value. That you would know your life matters more than you know. And more than we will ever know, because God goes with us. The case in point of this story, the example if you are in doubt of that happening, is beautiful Rahab, who in faith took the promises of God and she stepped out of Jericho, a new creation. She wasn't the same because the walls had come tumbling down.